This is your host Shane with Radical Rocks. Today we've got a super exciting episode with magnetite, Peru blue opal, um, cryonoids, crystallized clams, uh, dometrite, and more. That's right. Radical rocks are everywhere. And today we are going to talk about a lot of them. Um, man, some of the topics we're going to talk about the Goldstone property in Idaho, uh, largest turtle fossil ever found, Lucky Jim Mine, Birthstones, um, Calcoparite, and more. So stay tuned and we will get right into it. I think you're really going to enjoy today's episode. I want to apologize. I still am fighting the bronchitis. Thank you guys for putting up with that. Also, um, we've reached over 70 countries with our podcast, so we're kind of kind of excited about that and uh, almost 50,000 downloads, so we're really getting the word out there. Appreciate you guys liking and subscribing and um, let me know if you if you have any ideas for the show. You can always contact us. We're on social media, MeWe and YouTube. Um, just look at Radical Rocks. Sometimes it comes up Radical Rocks USA. So with that, the only other personal thing, um, I have been listing some stuff on eBay. It's Radical Rocks USA. And uh, if you have any ideas for listing stuff, I was thinking of looking at Facebook stores and stuff like that. We're wanting, we're getting a lot of uh, great material and wanting to share some of that with folks and see if they're interested in um, obtaining some of that. So with that, let's get right into the show. <coughs> let's start, and let's start with the crystallized clams. Our friends at Rock the letter N and Jim.com, letter uh, rockandjim.com. They tell us about these crystallized fossil Marisarina clams and where they are and how to find them. Well, they've got a picture of one and it's not real pretty. They're found in Florida, but it is kind of a opalish looking white where the clam is actually crystallized. And um, they are prized for their beauty and preservation. Um, some of them don't hardly look that like clam shells at all. But the calcium carbonate of the shell is what becomes crystallized. <coughs> it says you uh, um, they're fossilized uh, many years ago in the warm saltwater tropical seas of Florida. And then as the landmass with water or salt water or fresh water, they stay submerged. These sea levels and water levels would rise and fall, and that would 
allow um, the minerals to start getting trapped beneath the waves and the sand and uh, calcium to survive the decay and the soft tissues would create a void and calcium rich water would penetrate the shells and deposit calcite within the void. Beautiful amber colored crystals are formed, sometimes called honey amber. The impurities determine the color of the crystals during formation. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, again, you can find these, according to the article here, by Joseph um, Kohodl, or I'm not sure how to pronounce his name. It's K-C-H-O-D-L. According to Joseph here, he says that you can find them uh, one time at the once-closed Rux Pit Crystal Mine, located in Fort Drum, Florida. They had a pay-to-dig site where you could look through, uh, look through these piles and sometimes find some of these. Some other areas are these specific zones in the formation of the to Miami and the lower Nassau unit. Diggers are likely to find pieces of clams, whelks, or other shell material along with small and large calcite crystals. And they have a link to the Rux Pit Mine if you want to look at that. Um, it comes up as visitflorida.com, uh, travel, and uh, travel ideas. And then it will take you to the attractions, Fort Drum Crystal Mining, Florida. And they'll tell you about this pit. Uh, and you can sign up for that. It tells you how to find what you're looking for, what you'll find, uh, gem quality crystals, um, crystal clusters, some over an inch long, fossilized clams filled with calcite crystal, other fossilized shellfish, whelks, and olive shells. <coughs> and on occasion, these will be filled <coughs> Sorry, with small crystals. Um, they tell you how to dress. They have a full-service campground. Kids under 12 are free. It's $15. They tell you how to pack the calcite. You want to do it in newspapers and kind of pat it so that they don't get broken up. Typically open seven days from 8 to 5 p.m. They have a phone number here, 863-64, excuse me, 634-4579. So if that's something you want to do, check it out. Sounds like a lot of fun. Now here's something you might not have ever heard of. It is Napoleon's coronation crown now <clears throat> this is napoleon the third i am not a history buff really but our friends at gia um, gemologist institution association they tell us about a study that they did on the emeralds that are in the crown of napoleon the third if you go to gia.edu you can look up this article it is a gemological and spectroscopic study with mobile instruments of, in parentheses, emeralds from the coronation crown of Napoleon III. They've got some documentation here that talks about these gems and where they came from. 36 beads of emerald 
and other emeralds weighing 16 over 16 carats and smaller carats weighing over 10 carats quite a bit of jewelry in this beautiful crown 45 emeralds formerly set in the coronation crown of napoleon III, were studied using the spectroscopic and gemological means uh, studying this beautiful crown adorned with emeralds diamonds gold it was created in 1855 by royal jeweler Alexander Gabriel Lemoner and dismantled in 1887 for auctioning of the French crown jewels, but some of the intervals were donated um, to the Paris School of Mines, now known as Mainz Paris, PSL. In 1887, prior to the auction, the examination revealed that 41 out of 45 gems were indeed natural emeralds. So there's four others. What were they? Who knows? Um, no enhancement was found. They determined that the other four samples were artificial glass containing iron and copper um, and possibly other minerals. So pretty cool. Um, pretty neat study. You can read it. It's quite a lengthy article if you do want to check it out. Some beautiful pictures of this crown. It is spectacular. They have a reproduction of the original crown as well. Um, they have the emeralds here on display. They are beauties. Some of them have um, inclusions in them, but the colors are very, very green, very, very beautiful. Just something to be seen. And it, like I said, this is a long article, and it goes into the scientific studies of these emeralds through spectrographic, the Rama spectrographic, and so on and so forth. So I'm not going to bore you with all these uh, super scientific terms that I would stumble and struggle through anyway. So next, what are crinoid fossils? Um, they are called the lilies of the sea at one time. These are still around. You could still find crinoid fossil or uh, animals today. These are look like an upside down umbrella. We've talked about them before. Um, but they are anchored like a plant. Um, some people describe them as uh, some sort of a link between plants and animals. But they are truly an animal. They are related to other animals um, like starfish, sea urchins, and brittle stars. That's what they're related to. And to find a whole one in fossil is very rare. But in the United States... Um, parts of crinoids can be found in fossils in different areas. The stems, those uh, are look kind of like coral. Some people see them and think they're coral, but they're actually the stem of the crinoid. And then the, the top uh, is the part that looks like the upside-down umbrella. Some people call it a sea lily, but they're actually animals. They are not plants. They're living animals. They have a digestive system but they resemble a flower. Um, there are still uh, relatives of this species that have arms in multitudes of five and still uh, remain symmetric. They have an exoskeleton, so the bony plates are on the outside. They are primarily made of calcium carbonate, um, and that's why they fossilize so well in the sea. They're one of the most abundant fossils, especially the little discs that we were talking about. Um, but the arms and to find the whole thing, the stock with everything on it in fossilized form 
those are much more collectible and cost uh, more money if you're going to buy them. But what they would do is they stay open, and when a fish or something swims by, they grab it, and then they have a mouth down at the bottom, and uh, they just pull it down there and, and tear that thing up and eat it. They are they're relentless predators. The preservation uh, was, well, first of all, they, they started in shallow seawater. They would be kind of close to the surface. They are prone to terrible storms and hurricanes, so they, they could get broken and disrupted, but they would always come back, and um, they would get washed into and covered with mud and silk, and that's why there's so many of these fossils. Um, fossilized cronides, bringing them back to their life, it, it needs to be professionally prepared using a air abrasive technology to bring these most beautiful specimens to light. And again, our friend Joseph, um, K-C-H-O-D-L, writes about this article with our friends from Rock and Gym magazine, if you want to find out more about that. Let me get a swig of coffee here. Very interesting article we're going to read about. The subject we're going to talk about is Cal Copperite. And this is uh, kind of a relay related to iron pyrite, but it's rainbow colors. Real beautiful. Got some real interesting facts on that. And then um, uh, Dumerite or as it's sometimes called, or demortorite, we're going to go into that too. First of all, I want to tell you though about the largest turtle species ever discovered. This was discovered in Europe where typically smaller turtles, uh, about a meter, meter and a half, are found. That's the biggest ones, the largest European. Well, this baby is 3.7 meters, which if you break that into feet, is 12.13 feet long over 12 foot long turtle this is a giant enormous turtle um, it is a new species they say it could be one of the first european giant turtles <coughs> um, it's just a matter of time before they discover more of these dr sandra chapman is uh, one who speaks on this and uh, they're quite surprised at this huge, gigantic, largest turtle that has ever been uh, uncovered in this part of the world and maybe one of the biggest turtles ever. The largest turtle of all, they feel, could grow uh, 4.2 meters to 4.6 meters. So we're talking another, you know, in American terms, another three feet. So we're talking like 15, 16 foot long turtle. That's enormous. I mean, talk about a massive turtle. Um, they have some of the fossils here. They talk about how it was discovered. It's quite a lengthy article. Um, I'd call it a medium article. Probably take about 10, 15 minutes to read it thoroughly and absorb it. It's from the National History Museum. You go to nhm.ac.uk and you look up Europe's Largest ever turtle species has ever been discovered, and James Ashworth tells us all about this beautiful sea turtle. Gold mines. I love gold mines. I love mineral properties. Um, I used to have a few claims back in the day. This is the Goldstone mineral property. 
in Pratt Creek in Lima um, County, Idaho. And the Goldstone property was a gold and silver property in the Pratt Creek District of Idaho. Significant amounts of gold and silver were mined in this area. There's valuable surface dumps in this area on this claim. There's five load mining claims, um, a total of 100 continuous acres, and 90,000 at 9,000 feet elevation, about one mile west of the Montana-Idaho state border with the Continental Divide. Pretty cool. They have reserves of 30 tons of backed reserves. It was mapped and estimated back in 1997 with a conservative average of 0.75 ounce per ton of gold. Um, silver and copper, they do not have a uh, on that, but nearby areas, they did an assay in a 1,900 foot tunnel and they found 0.53 ounces uh, of gold and point a quarter ounce in silver. <coughs> they documented some 7,000 feet of development on the property as of 1964. There's drift to five foot, 500 foot level. There was a fire in 1950 and they decided not to reopen that 500 foot level, but they redug and undercut to extract ores and to cut into the uh, the same vein. The Climax mine is also part of the Goldstone property. Climax is located north of Goldstone property and often referred to as the War Eagle mine. It has a collapsed shaft and uh, would need to be dug out to explore the veins. Gold was reported here with values up to and over two ounces per ton. Very rough terrain over the Goldstone Pass. Um, would take a four-wheel drive or ATV to get in there. And um, it says there's a three-mile span that is not usable without significant improvements to private land. So, I mean, it is way back there, back there in the back country. This could be a really fun one to look at. Um, they give more history about the fire. Uh, and this time it talks about 1949, the fire happening. They had a watchman there until 1968. And uh, he talks about how they tried to intercept this new vein. There's a drift from 1,900 feet to 2,400 feet, depending on what report you read. And the, the camp uh, watchman, Sylvester Cramp, <laughs> who'd worked at the mine and stayed there until 1968, was forced to use, to leave because of heart problems, health problems. And uh, cabins and a porthole were maintained by the next watchman. Then it was locked and in good condition, the porthole, in 1991, according to local ranchers who owns a ranch at Pratt Creek. In 1994, the Moatman Tunnel was addressed as an abandoned mine there was reclamation in 2008 to 2010 to mitigate the tailings. The tailings are impounded just east of the mill and buried. Dumps were left intact. This could be a tough area if if they have if they have uh, tried to get rid of tailings because of maybe something leaching into the soil like lead. This could be a tough area. Um, 
talks more about reclamation by the EPA and funding in 2008. I mean, I think this would be a great area to explore, but man, unless you're professional, I certainly wouldn't want to take this one under my belt. But I can imagine there's probably some pretty good lead, silver, and gold specimens to be found in that area. Um, I wanted to tell you about... Well, let's go into magnetite. Magnetite ore. You go to uh, India educationdiary.com and look up L-E-T-I scientists found a new use for magnetite ore. Um, probably you're familiar with magnetite. This is something that is used in metal. It has magnetic properties. It's also been used as a weighing agent for mud drilling. Uh, magnetite is a collectible mineral specimen as well. Um, magnetite has been used uh, to make magnets, early magnets. Well, this magnetite is special because it was found in Russia and the ore samples are showing that the structure of the magnetite is different and it makes its magnetic properties very special. They are tiny, tiny microscopic structures. Scientists have been testing and confirming the results that this magnetite can be used in composite materials for protection against radio frequency radiation and uh, would be much cheaper than other methods used to protect against this radio frequency radiation. So what is radio frequency radiation, you might be asking? Well, some examples of it would be your microwave, right? So you remember if people get too close to the microwave and they had the old school uh, heart pacer that would help the heart beat regular rhythm, it could kill that person. Um, it would actually interfere the pacemaker and a person could theoretically die because they don't have that the heart being regulated. And maybe you've heard about cell phones, right? And radiation uh, levels coming out of a cell phone. Um, this has been studied and said to be uh, unhealthy. That could be. Maybe you've heard about um, 5G radio towers, things like this. Studies are being done that show that uh, that's possibly not healthy. But what I did find, there is definitely weapons that are being constructed to use radio frequency, radiation, to hurt people, um, to disrupt electronics. This is why you're not allowed to use a cell phone on a plane. If enough people... <coughs> were to create enough radiomagnetic radiation, they could throw off the guidance device and also the automatic pilot device that uh, is used on some of these larger planes. So, and, and cause, actually cause all its controls to stop and cause the plane to crash to the ground. So this is why, you know, 
they they actually know if someone has a phone on and their and their the radiation is getting high on a plane. This is to um, look for terrorists because a terrorist could theoretically bring a smaller device onto a plane. Now, some of the radio frequency radiation that's used for war would be from a ground unit. This would be bigger. The beam could be concentrated at a plane and theoretically make it drop out of the sky. So having this protection around certain devices is very important, especially for the military, but also for planes, any navigation device. So using this um, would be much cheaper than some of the other forms that are being used. It says, magnetite ore is a filler of hybrid composites for protection against radio frequency radiation. The results of the research of the magnetite ore samples from the Covodor deposit are published in the Journal of Magnetism and Magnetic Materials. They're confirming that these nano-sized grains with super magnetic properties um, are very wonderful. They are not of biogenic origin and can be um, used to protect people from this radio frequency radiation instead of using synthetic soft magnetic ferrites, which the cost is an order of magnitude higher than the cost of processing this ore of magnetite. So that's in a nutshell. It's much, much cheaper and it's readily available. And they are studying that and looking at it and verifying that it is something good. So we look forward to seeing that being used to protect our uh, strategic interest, uh, communication, automated controls that uh, are, you know, over people's lives, right? For energy sector, transportation, military, things like that. So very important. I thought it was a great story. I wanted to share it with you. Now something a little more lighthearted. Birthstones. Um, birthstones are a lot of fun. I think uh, what kid doesn't want to know what birthstone they have? Um, and then if they don't like that particular stone, they want to know, you know, what else is available, right? So let's go over this really quickly. Times now at timesnownews.com says birthstones know why these gemstones are important to you um DeBose smith gosh tells us all about it you can read it in great detail if you want some of the highlights are according to birth months january is garnet february is amethyst march is aquamarine april is diamond may is emerald June is pearl, which is organic, not really um, a uh, mineral. It is mineral, but it's not like you would think of rocks and gems. July is ruby. August is peridot. September, sapphire. October, opal. November, topaz. And December is turquoise. Love turquoise. I love a lot of those. Now, according to the zodiac sign, this might be something you like this stone better. Um, I, I, I'm born in June, so that would make me, um, either a pearl, which I'm not a big fan of pearls or the other choice here. So, um, January or Aquarius is garnet, says for passion. Uh, and then Pisces would be next. 
which is amethyst for calmness. Then Aries is a bloodstone for action. A Taurus is sapphire for self-expression, it says. And Gemini is agate for balance. I love agate. I love agate halves too. So I wear a big old agate half, I guess, around my neck. Cancer is emerald for love and kindness. Leo is onyx for strength. I guess the glittery colors make make people think of strength. Onyx, when I think of onyx, um, oh, well, we're talking, we're just talking regular onyx, not, uh, I was thinking opal. Onyx is strong, yes, yes, onyx is strong. Virgo is carnelia, nice uh, red to orange stone for confidence. Uh, Libra, or Libra is peridot for radiance. And Scorpio is topaz for strength. And Sagittarius is turquoise for well-being, and Capricorn is ruby for protection. So, and there's other gemstone guides too, like um, June also includes the, uh, um, oh God, I can't think what it's called now, um, Alexandrite, which I love Alexandrite, has color changes. And I know, uh, I think December also includes like blue zircon, which is real pretty. If you're not a big turquoise fan or you want something crystal. So there's there's options out there. <coughs> All right. Next. For our next exciting. I had an article on the. Oh, here it is. Yeah. The Lucky, J, uh, Lucky Lake Gym Mine. Lucky Lake Gym Mine is in Virginia. Probably talked about it before. I don't remember. You go onlyinyourstate.com Virginia slash Virginia slash gym hyphen mine hyphen destination hyphen VA um, or look up uh, Only In Your State Lucky Lake Gym Mine is an awesome destination hiding in Virginia and you'll want to visit. This is by Beth and she tells us all about this place. Um you can unearth beautiful treasures here. According to this lake uh, being established and dug up, <coughs> right along the edge of this, they found uh, some pegmatite deposits and a lot of other beautiful gemstones. They will do uh, where you can dig and get a bucket full of dirt and shift through. They've got water and buckets and all of that stuff. Um, I think they probably salt this area a little bit, which if you don't know what salting the mine means, that means bringing in some gemstones from an outside area. It says, uh, this area was discovered by sheer luck, creating the lake, an abundance of color rocks and stones were found along with significant pegmatites. Now, you go Lucky Lake Gym Mine online, their address is 4125 Harper Mill Road, McKinney, Virginia, if you want to check that out. Now, none of these places I've talked about are sponsoring the show. I'm, I'm not recommending that they're good or bad or one thing or the other. Um, I'm just giving you the information for your own fun and exploration. They have a picture of some of the gemstones uh, insinuating that you would be able to find these here. It's kind of hard to read all the types of gemstones, but they've got what looks like a butterfly jasper, a viper jasper. They have lapis, uh, tenolite, 
Unikai, Tree Agate, which I know, I think a lot of these are shipped in. Tiger Eye, Blue Topaz, Silver Topaz, Sunstone, Spider something, Sodalite, um, some sort of quartz, Smoky Quartz, um, Pink Opal, others, I can't really read these, Red Jasper, uh, Quartz, Rose Quartz, Ruby, Star Ruby, uh, Quartz, Quartz, different kinds of Quartz, Ocean Jasper, yeah, they definitely brought this stuff in. Blue Agate, Blue Lace Agate, Leopard Agate. I mean, it just goes on and on. Citrine, Carnelias, um, golly, Emeralds. Yeah, there's no way all this stuff is there. Azurite, Green, Monzonite. So apparently this place is salted with all kinds of gemstones. If you want to check those out, you can. Um, now... For our, what I'm going to call our keynote address, um, Demorturite, and then also we have Calcoporite, and that is a really cool gemstone too. But let's talk about the uh, Demorturite, or some people call it Dumerite. Uh, it has also been called Desert Lapis. This article is kind of interesting. It's Newswires, uh, einnews.com. Um, it is an article here on uh, Demorturite, the gemstone of enlightenment. I'm not going to go into that, but there is some interesting conversation about Demorturite. Now, it is composed of uh, of an aluminum type mineral, and uh, was very uncommon at first. And uh, it's usually ground up and shaped into a cabochon. They claim the hardness is seven to eight point five. I really doubt that unless it is highly siliconized with quartz. Um, a lot of demortrite is not that hard, but uh, according to them, it does have uh, quartz and silica crystals in the blue uh, demortrized quartz that you could find and was originally found in the Rhone Alps area of France. It is located in high-temperature aluminum-allied regional metamorphic rocks and boron-rich pegmatites. Good-quality specimens occur in Australia, Brazil, Madagascar, Russia, France, Sri Lanka, Canada, and the United States. Uh, specific gravity, <coughs> about 3.3. It comes in deep violet to blue. I've seen it in pale blue as well. I have some. Maybe I'll put some on uh, eBay or Etsy or something. Can also be pink or brown, good in hardness and uh, bright color, and can says uh, the pink or brown is not usually made into gemstones because the color is usually not that good. Uh, people carve it into cabochons, sculptures, eggs, beads, and spears. Um, the benefits, I think, uh, one of the things about it in the article talks about some metaphysics here, if you want to get into that. But these stones are various colors, but blue is the most popular and most sought after. And it's not a particularly rare gemstone, so it can be cheaper to use than some other stones. So uh, Demorturite is a great application where you would like the appearance of lapis lazula or um, other types of gemstones. And 
it also can replace another blue gemstone too. Can't remember, sodalite, I think it is. So it can be paired with other stones with different benefits. Okay, no, I'm not gonna read that, but yeah, use it as jewelry and uh, enjoy the beauty of dometriite. Now, so dometriite here, it says the differences between dometriite, sodalite, and lapis lazula. Um, uh, Lazara, uh, lapis lazulite, dumerite, and sodalite are beautiful blue stones used in jewelry and other decorative items. The crystal can be substituted for lapis lazula. While these crystals may look similar at first glance, there are differences. Uh, lazulite appears vitreous, sodalite appears dull and greasy, dometriite like uh, Lazarite has a vitreous luster, luster, but the crystals are fibrous, unlike lazulolite and lapis lazula. Also found in deeper blue-violet, while lapis lazula is often a blue gemstone with white streaks or patterns. So, very pretty. Sometimes there can be inclusions or other colors such as yellow, green, and blue hues. It is highly sought after. I would like to get some big, giant pieces of it, but, man, it's hard to find. Um, without spending a, a huge premium. So that is Demortrite. If you're interested in that, that is a beautiful gemstone to add to your collection. It's very easy to carve and polish. Five fascinating facts about Calcoparite. Calcoparite or Calcoparite, however you want to say it, is kind of a relative of iron pyrite. If you've seen clusters of iron pyrite, and you hold it up next to calcoparite, you're going to say, oh, yeah, there's there's some similar similarities here. And the word pyrite is even in the word calcoparite. So if you go to our friends Rock and Jim, they email me emails. I recommend you subscribe to them and get their emails and get their magazine. If you're a rockhound or a lapidary enthusiast, definitely do it. And Antoinette... Ron tells us all about this. Um, she's got some pictures of it. The iridescent sparkly ones are the most popular ones that you'll see in the shops for sale. They have a slew of rainbow colors, including gold, an iridescent gold, iridescent blue, iridescent yellows and greens and browns. Uh, quite spectacular. These um, were very high in uh, minerals for mining. Uh, copper and things like that. Um, there's also bitrodal varieties of calparite uh, that has a little bit of an iridescent sheen or a copper blister. <coughs> Some of these were located by the Bristol miners, according to the article in the picture, and um, has very unique shapes uh, depending on what area it's found and located. Five facts about calcoparite or calcoparite that uh, the Antoinette finds interesting is for more than 5,000 years, it served as a copper sulfite mineral. And then second, the formation is versatile but uh, occurs in hydrothermal conditions. And she quotes an article by Hobart M. King who talks about that at geology.com. They've got a link. Calcoparite can... Calpyrite can, uh, can also be considered a global resident of mineralogical standing. It has been mined in England, Sweden, Canada, South Africa, Chile, 
Germany, Utah, Nevada, upper northwestern United States. Um, it is a chief component of the development of electrical wiring due to its high conductivity. It is only 3.5 to 4 on the hardness. It fins off corrosion, according to information from University of Minnesota Minerals page. And it is the namesake of Jonathan Frederick Hinkel, who is a German physician whose love of chemistry and nature, um, he's the one that named it. And um, he found it in a productive mining community in Germany. And um, there you go. So it is beautiful mineral specimen. Guys, thanks for tuning in. Um, thank you for liking and subscribing. Check out our podcast. We've got um, a ton of people on our podcast. I, uh, I mean, check out our videos. I'm about ready to download a new video um, on some Peruvian blue opal. Peruvian blue opal um, is really pretty, dark blue, light blue. I've cut it, and I showed you just a little cutting, slab cutting hack, which you may or may not know about. But check out the video. Go to um, YouTube and and Google Radical Rocks and like and subscribe and check out our video. I should be uploading that pretty soon. Until next time, guys, thank you. And remember, rock hounds don't die. They petrify.